Happy New Year. I'm Neil Blackman, host of the Florida Basketball Hour, and uh, definitely wishing all of you a uh, happy new year. And um, it's it's conference play time. It's time to get down to, to the nitty-gritty. Or for those of you recovering from an amazing Peach Bowl win and a really special uh, first year under Dan Mullen, it's time to pay attention to basketball. So uh, we hope you'll join us on at, at the Florida Basketball Hour. Uh, Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com is going to join me. We're going to break down Florida's big win over Butler that came uh, on a pretty special Saturday for Gators fans after the huge Peach Bowl dub. And then we'll talk uh, South Carolina. We'll we'll talk a little bit about what we've seen in the SEC in non-conference play and uh, close it out with a, a little wrap on catching up with some Gators in the NBA. So hope you uh, all enjoy, and, and here we go. Hey there. Hey, Eric. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, wonderful. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, so, uh, conference play. We made it. <laughs> yeah, after a few uh, a few ups and downs, we're here at conference play. And uh, uh, this is, uh, I know this maybe sounds like I'm trying to cheapen the, uh, the rough out of conference schedule, but I, re- you know, it really seems like in uh, the last kind of modern age of college basketball, this really is when the season kind of begins because you could have a pretty rough um, non-conference and have a great conference and be, uh, be in great shape. And uh, you could be like Arizona State last year that was, you know, challenging for a uh, number one place in the AP poll uh, in the non-conference and then just kind of fell off a cliff. So, um, yeah, which is uh, kind of nice for, uh, for a team like Florida who uh, wasn't able to land any other uh, – any other big time uh, uh, kind of signature wins they're probably hoping to get. Yeah. Yeah. The Gators, uh, the Gators go one and one against Butler. It's kind of all they have to show for, <laughs> for the non-conference, I guess. Um, and a win over West Virginia, who I still think is, is better than their record, but um, really a missed opportunity for the Mountaineers last night against Texas Tech. Yeah, that would have been really nice from a uh, from a Florida standpoint for uh, for West Virginia to get that one. But uh, I don't know, maybe to like uh, obviously like the West Virginia losing to Buffalo doesn't look too bad. Um, uh, Western Kentucky's knocked knocked off some teams, but uh, yeah, even like a thirteen point loss to to Rhode Island that just that just hurts. And and um, something I kind of like I, I kind of missed and then kind of saw the next day uh, going through scores was that um, West Virginia only beat Jacksonville State by two. So that was a uh, another you know near disaster for the Mountaineers. Yeah, they, they've had some they've had some close calls. That's the, the one, I guess, relief if you're a Gators fan this year has been that there haven't been many games that Florida's played somebody that's not good. But um, you know, other than sort of the Mercer game, they've been pretty convincing in those games. Yeah, I think so. Um, that is, uh, that's one thing, even, uh, last night watching Oklahoma almost beat Kansas, which, you know, would have been good from a Gator standpoint. Um, yeah, it's, uh, none of the Gators losses look, uh, look terrible. And, um, although, you know, we'll see if, uh, we'll see if, um, Butler, uh, hopefully they play better than, uh, when, when we saw them, uh, the second time, but yeah, it looks like all the, there's not, the Gators are kind of unscathed in certain, in terms of bad losses, at least. So, um. Uh, yeah, I think that there's uh they kind of have still have an opportunity here in, in the SEC to make uh, to make a really good resume and get a really good seed if they get hot. 
Yeah, I thought that the uh, Chris Patola had the game, and I think I think he's really good. Um, you know, I don't say that about a lot of the analysts. I think you get kind of just you can get anybody really um, right. from bad to to Jay Billis, right? Uh, <laughs> and and I think Spatola is really good. I, I'm not a Ducomer either. I was born in Chapel Hill, so so I'm not a I'm not just giving all the Duke ex Duke assistants love. Um, but you know, Spatola's kind of point on the Butler thing was as as weird as their season has been because they can't rebound. Um, they don't really they don't get steals like most Butler teams. Um, they don't get to the free throw line. <laughs> Here's the list of problems with Butler. They still have Kamar Baldwin, so they're probably going to finish in the top four in the Big East. So at worst, you beat uh, you know a team that's pretty good in a good league. Oh yeah, and, and I I'm also going to echo that uh, Chris Patola is awesome. And uh, one thing I really like is he uh, uh, he's even just kind of before the season was like, hey, I'm uh, I'm going to have the uh, a few of the Gators games in uh, the Battle for Atlantis. Can we just like talk about how things are going for the Gators? And I just thought it was like. Oh, this is a guy who does his job really well. If he's checking in with guys, um, you know, weeks in advance of who he's going to be covering, just to make sure he knows the landscape. So, anyway, Chris is great. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's kind yeah. of interesting, uh, just because, uh, like, about what Butler's problems are. Because part of me looks at them and, and um, you know, and, and thinks that they they're a really good team. And then part of me looks at them and you know, the Gators just dismantled them. And even in the in the game that, um, you know, the the Gators could have really, I mean. I guess you can always play worse, but it's hard to imagine the Gators playing any worse offensively and they still almost beat Butler the first time. So, um, yeah, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I think about Butler, but I think, like you said, with Kamar Baldwin, they're going to win some tight games in conference and, and end up looking pretty good, I think. So let's talk about the second game. Um, I didn't watch I – was, I was covering the Peach Bowl uh, for my football writing. So I ended up watching it on delay, you know, obviously. Uh because I was doing journalism things. Um, but, but kind of my observation was that I'm going to pat Florida basketball hour on the back and say, Eric and I kind of had a, a beat on the scout. We said that they'd switch the way they guarded Kamal Baldwin. They did. It was predominantly Kayvon Allen, who was, I thought played his best game of the season. Um, and, you know, and then Florida did put Andrew Nimhart on a jump shooter and just kind of let him go to work out there. Uh, which I think is something you're going to see the Gators do. I, I would hope in conference play a little more to kind of minimize the way people can get to the basket on Nimhard. Um, but just what are your observations on on what Florida did that was so frustrating to the Bulldogs? Yeah, I think that that was uh, uh, it. Kind of started with the point of attack, and the thing about that team is um, I don't love any of their secondary ball handlers other than other than Kamar Baldwin. So. Um, you really have the chance to to load up against him, and and I think he's awesome. But uh, it kind of worked out that when we could have Kayvon Allen on him, that and if we could just slow him down, it, I think that that um, it kind of allowed the Gators to to load up on him, um, kind of stay home at shooters. And um, you know what? I, I honestly thought Butler still got some pretty good looks. Um, they shot the ball really poorly, but um, I, I think that that was probably probably a little bit of the way that Butler was like, hey, like this is the way we play. We're going to get our three point shots up. Um, and also, so they, so even if they were not great looks, they they were getting them up. But I, I love the adjustment. Obviously, I mean, it's what I suggested, and you and me talked about putting a, putting Kayvon Allen on Kamar Baldwin. Um, I thought Andrew Nemart was a 
he's he's a great great help side defender so I thought that worked out perfectly um and then just everyone else uh Kavarius Hayes we know he's going to bring on the defensive end um Keith Stone I I think you know we've talked about him being so great defensively uh, I don't know if the general fan has been as as high on him quite uh, quite as much but um this game just kind of showed that if the Gators keep defending like they defend they're going to be in every single game um even just how horrible it felt like the Gators played um playing against uh playing against Oklahoma, playing against Butler the first time, playing against Michigan State. Um, those are all tight games. And if Florida keeps playing the defense that they're playing and then has a good offensive game, then you're going to see them blowing out Butler by 30 points. Um, yeah. That's just a, that's the ceiling for this team. And honestly, I look at how Florida played against Butler, and um, I, I think they would have beat anyone in the country pretty much playing that way. I'm not saying that they would have went to uh, – if they are playing Tennessee, do I think that they'd beat Tennessee by 30? Um, no, but if they defend like that and play like that offensively, uh, they probably beat Tennessee by 10 or, you know, something in that range. So I, I think that just shows how uh, just the ceiling for this team and how important defense is in college basketball, because we've seen Florida play horrible against Oklahoma Butler the first time in Michigan state and stay really tight. And um, when they play that same defense, but play good on offense, then they're crushing teams by 30. And um, yeah, so I it just, it, it shows that um, defense needs to stay the DNA of this team. But if they can improve offensively at all, um, this is going to be a really top-shelf SEC team. Yeah, no. I, look, I rarely will uh, be fired up after a uh, play in a game that I'm watching on delay where I know the outcome. And um, the play where about four bodies went to the floor and Kayvon Allen comes out of the, the scrum with the ball and Euro steps in the lane – makes the layup, gets fouled. Um, yeah, I mean, I, like, leapt off my couch. I felt, like, so embarrassed afterwards, but no one was there to, like, see me, so it was <laughs> cool. Because <laughs> I was, like, fist-pumping and screaming at my television, you know? Like, all very restrained. And, I mean, that's – I don't know if it was the coach in me or the fan or just all of it, but I was like, that is – that's what Mike White wants his Florida team to be. And you could kind of tell because they did a nice camera shot on White after – and he was kind of beaming, which he never does. And, like, that was that was it. That's the moment you got to bottle up, um, especially when you get ready to play a team like Tennessee in a couple weeks, who, who – that is Tennessee. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things, too, is just how it's been kind of something Mike White has talked about is that, he, that they do loose ball drills every day in practice. And I think that that actually – at the time he said it a few weeks ago, uh, there was a lot of people who didn't really like that because the, the team is dealing with injuries. Um, they weren't playing well offensively. So it's kind of like, Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Spending practice hours um, going for loose balls. And when you're losing games and you're not coming up with, you know, loose balls, I think that that's when that's pretty frustrating. So to see that, that payoff and just, um, just a little bit of a microcosm for the entire game. Um, I think that was kind of too, why that play was so special was it really was just a, uh, just an example of everything that the Gators had done well that night, all kind of bottled into one play. And I think that that's really exciting. And I think that that's, um, uh, that's Florida basketball. I think what, I think that's what it's going to be under, under Mike White, even though they're getting um, top shelf recruits. If anyone's watched Scotty Lewis play, um, that's how he plays. The guy plays incredibly hard and gets every loose ball. It's not that he's some um, five-star that just wants to sit on the perimeter and, and shoot threes. He's a guy who plays, plays in the trenches and, and uh, Omar Payne's the same way. So I really think this is going to be a uh, Florida basketball. So I think it's really cool to see 
Uh, Coach White fired up. I think it's cool to see a lot of the fans uh, re- appreciating those kind of effort plays. And um, hopefully we can, uh, they can keep that up. So I think one thing we should probably touch on is that Butler is pretty good defensively. They're not, I don't think they're an elite defensive team either. Um, but Florida did a really nice job, not just because they made everything either, I didn't think. I thought some of their actions were really good, um, or at least better than we've seen all year. And they did do, again, this is why, like, I'm really going to do this on our show because it's kind of, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't want to pat myself on the back much for, for assessing a team I watch all the time correctly. Like, that's kind of what I should be doing if I have a podcast. Uh, and i coached the sport but florida did run some some really nice uh pin down screens i had a listener call the tweet in and ask what a pin down screen was when we refer to it so i said i'm gonna let eric kind of explain it's kind of a simple concept and basically just refers to an offensive player that gets as close to the baseline as possible to pin down a defender and it creates space for for a teammate to get the ball but um, Eric can explain how they do that for, for Noah Locke because he hit a couple shots off those um, that I thought were really good offense. Yeah, I think that the, a pin-down screen, I guess if you were to put it really simply, it's like maybe a play. Yeah, but like I guess what you said, a player closer to the baseline or closer to the basket um, getting screened away from it so that he can uh, uh, usually go like go towards the, the wing or go towards the three-point line. And um, what's uh, what's really nice about uh, about the way Noah Locke does it and something I really appreciate and something that yeah I try to teach my players is is kind of setting up the defender for a screen so say he's on if he's on the baseline what he'll do first is like he is kind of take two hard steps as if he was going to go towards the basket and take a few hard strides towards the basket like he was going to cut through which makes his defender start to backpedal um, but then Noah Locke turns and goes the opposite direction which allows uh, just gives him an extra an extra stride or two when he can uh, when he gets open and um, yeah he's had some really hot starts to the season and or sorry starts to games he seems to have slowed down in the second half a few times but he seems to just always start the game with a few threes and um, it's really good to see because I, I don't think I really saw any of any of those actions early in the season I don't know if you noticed that Neil but I just didn't feel like we were using those actions to get either lock open or or Kayvon Allen or or Jalen Hudson when he was struggling. No, I, I didn't see him, and, and I agreed. I was going to point that out. I think that you make a great point on Locke. He's great at – we always tell our players to not – we say leave as little space as possible between you and the screener, and and that kind of traps the defender even more because you kind of limit what a defender on the pin down can do, right? I mean, they can they can bust through it, or they can uh, or they can try to go around it. And, you know, hopefully either one is tricky because you can pick up a foul if you bust through them sometimes. And if you run around them, you know, the ball moves way faster than the player does. So Locke's really good at that. And and I think uh, it's it's it was really not – I mean, Kayvon Allen hit a corner three off of one, too. Mm-hmm. Which, with his physicality, I think uh, is something that, you know, that I don't know. It's, it's just nice to see Florida do – something that's conceptual like that, that they weren't doing. It's an adjustment that I think that they've made. And, and Eric's touched on, on the last show, I think Eric said that, that one of the risk is that if it doesn't work, it sort of just looks like the guard is dribbling yeah. at the top, which everybody gets frustrated with. But uh, I don't know, Florida, Florida was able to, to use them pretty effectively against Butler. And, and then um, Florida's interior bigs continue to 
pass the ball pretty well, uh, which is kind of a change. And it's not just with Isaiah Stokes on the floor either. Yeah, especially, yeah, because, I mean, Isaiah Stokes didn't get in for that, that Butler game. And uh, that's one thing that I think is kind of nice about the improved confidence of Kavarius Hayes offensively is that, uh, yeah, he's, he, it seems like when he gets the ball in his hands, he's not just looking for whatever guard kind of um, safety valve he can throw it back out to. He's looking for that high-low. He's maybe pumping and trying to take a dribble or two to see if he can beat his man. And um, I think Kavarius Hayes is uh, – I mean, it's not that he's an offensive juggernaut right now or, or even one of their, like, second or third best options. Um, but just his ability to uh, to play with a little bit more of more confidence with the ball in his hands means that Florida's offense is looking really good. And, um, yeah, his, his passing of the ball has been uh, uh, something that I, I thought I've really noticed since last season where I feel like if he got the ball in the post, he wasn't looking for um, a pass to the pocket of a shooter for – an open look or wasn't looking for a high low for a layup. He was just kind of looking for um, a safe play to kick it back out to a guard, which you do appreciate um, playing within yourself. Um, but I think teams knew that they didn't have to guard him as much. And now that they have to guard him a little bit, um, Florida's offense can be a little bit better. Yeah, no. And you know what? Another, another guy that, although I don't think he was, well, I don't know. Which should we do first? Should we do why we both think Mike Okaru is valuable to this team and maybe should play a little more or, should we yeah. talk about? Should we talk about how Jalen Hudson didn't really play what I thought were any vital minutes? And maybe you disagree, and that's okay too. But I felt like um, he didn't play. I don't think I don't think he played vital minutes, but what he did on the floor offensively was better. Yeah, and uh, I think it's just like we've talked about him not playing vital minutes is as much to do with uh, Noah Locke playing really well as it is. Yeah, um, Jalen Hudson. So um, I mean, until Noah Locke comes. Um, kind of starts to play worse. I think that Jalen Hudson's going to stay in the role he, he is currently in, unless uh, we get one of those kind of games where Jalen Hudson's on fire. Um, but um, yeah, Okaru, uh, I think, I don't know, what do you think he got in seven or eight minutes maybe against uh, a Butler? It's always a little tough to say in these games that are blowouts because uh, yeah. uh, obviously garbage time kind of shifts things. Um, but yeah, I, I, f- I still feel like he played it. He kind of makes winning plays. And I think that DeAndre Ballard is, has come down to earth a little bit since his kind of a slow start. I think this has to be Okaru's chance to, uh, to kind of come in and um, establish himself as maybe someone who can, when Florida, when Mike White wants another ball mover out there versus someone like Ballard, who is a get the ball on attack kind of guy. And I think Okaru has been just amazing kind of pressuring passing lanes and, and getting steals. Um, I, he reminds me a ton of DeLon Wright, um, <laughs> who, I, who I watch a whole bunch with my Raptors now, but also when he was at, at Utah, just a similar kind of build guys that just uh, uh, can really shoot passing lanes and, and get steals. And um, I think we'll probably, I kind of wondered what would happen to get Okaru into the game a little bit more. And, and I think it's probably DeAndre Ballard coming down to, down to earth. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah I think he's, uh, this is uh, hopefully Okaru's chance to shine. It was definitely the fourth straight game that, he got into a passing lane, created a turnover, and it led to a fast break opportunity. I think they missed the one against Michigan State, right? Um, Could have used a few. <laughs> yeah, they they did not convert that that transition opportunity that Okaru had created in that game, but they've converted on the other three. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. He he does. I think you put it best. He he makes winning plays, and I think that. There's this tendency now because he, his, shoot, his shooting has come down to earth after a torrid first couple of months of his freshman season. So he's not – Michael Carter is not going to be a guy that scores a lot of points for Florida in his career. But I think 
he's a guy whose defense and ability to impact winning probably keeps him on campus. Um, whereas a lot of other kids might, you know, go somewhere else where they can play 30 minutes a game. Well, that's a pretty interesting, uh, interesting term. You just decided to stay on campus. Uh, should we talk Chase Johnson at all this podcast or, uh, yeah, let's, maybe let's, I mean, guys, I'm, I'm totally, let's... this is taking a 180 from what you were going to talk about. But... <laughs> no, no, I think we were kind of, I mean, Florida crushed Butler and, and they played their best game of the season. There's not really, um, they played well offensively. They had a good plan defensively. They out rebounded them 46 to 18. Um, and maybe we should talk about that and then we can talk about Chase Johnson. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, I was confused as to how you could get almost out rebounded or out rebounded by Butler in the first game and then out rebound them by 28. But yeah, you know. <laughs> this is, I mean, Okay, here, here's my two takes. Um, my first is that, like, and, and there's probably a lot of very bright basketball minds that are just going to uh, think this is a stupid comment for me. But, but honestly, <laughs> I, there, there's an extensive rebounding that is luck, um, especially when it comes to teams that shoot a lot of three-point shots. Three-point shots mean long rebounds, and the longer the rebound is, um, the, the kind of the more luck comes into play. And I think Butler shoots a lot of threes, and Florida shoots a lot of threes. So yeah. I do think there's an element of. Uh, you know, Butler kind of maybe got some bounces the first night and looks like Florida got a few the other night. But um, the other thing too about rebounding that I don't think people talk about enough is that if you're in good defensive, if you're in good defensive position, when a shot goes up, um, you're going to, you're instantly also in good uh, defensive rebounding position. If you are yeah. in bad defensive position for a shot, um, you're probably <laughs> not going to be in good defensive rebounding position either. So those things kind of, um, kind of are go hand in hand. So I think, a, a team that's giving up a lot of good shots, like a bad defensive team that's giving up good shots, also means that they're not going to be in good in good position to to defensively rebound. And I think that Florida played really good defense, forced a lot of tough shots, and because they were on their right side of their man, the right spots on the floor um, to force a bad shot, also meant they're on the right side of the floor to uh, to get a defensive rebound. So I think that you, the, those two things kind of just uh, come hand in hand. If you're giving if you're giving up good shots, you're probably not going to rebound well. If you're forcing tough shots, you're probably in a position to rebound. So those are my two takes on, on uh, why Florida rebounded the ball so well the second night and also why uh, why they could get out-rebounded and then pump them on the glass the next time. <laughs> well, you know, other than Purdue, who we, we've talked about Purdue being kind of a, a polar opposite pro- profile of Florida. Yes. Um, there's actually not – and I, the type of luck that, that – that Eric's talking about is different than the luck rating, but this is just kind of a fun little thing to throw in. Um, in the top 50 in Ken Palm, there's only one team that is more quote unquote unlucky than Florida right now. And it's Purdue. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. That's so, really funny. Yeah. Florida's at 302 and, and Purdue is at uh, 317, which is not where you want to be. <laughs> oh, you're, you're running out of teams once you're at 317. I mean, Florida's been on the bad side of luck for like the last few years too. I think that they're so. I don't. I don't know. That's a maybe something for me to look into for an article. But Florida's definitely <laughs> not been looked upon positively by the Ken Palm luck ratings the last few seasons. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, let's talk about Chase Johnson. Um, you know, it was funny. Like, I I thought you you wrote an article on Gator Country, kind of a Christmas wish list for everybody, and. I kind of immediately scrolled down to Chase Johnson because I was thinking, man, this team really needs somebody that can get to the rim. And I, and you were like, hit the nail on the head. 
you know, I hope he finds his passion for basketball again. And I think that's kind of what it's obvious now that he, he went home um, while the team was at the orange bowl classic or, or immediately thereafter. And, uh, and kind of decided that he did need to find his passion for basketball again. And that maybe that required a fresh start. Yeah, that, that seems to be the case. And, and first of all, I just want to say like, um, I, I really do wish him the best. Um, I, head injuries are so scary and yeah, yeah. definitely do not want to see him um, robbed of a basketball career because of uh, some freak head injuries. And um, I'll definitely be wishing him all the best. And um, every time I've spoken to him, which has only been a few times, but he's always been great. So um, I wish him all the best. I'll also note it appears that he's probably down to Dayton and Pittsburgh as uh, that seems to be the talk about where he uh, could be headed. And um, so, yeah, obviously he's going to, he's going to land somewhere, somewhere great. And, Hopefully the transfer uh, time can uh, yeah can really be good for him. But um, uh, I think what kind of what you mentioned as well, just in terms of um, the the way that he could have been one of the guys that could get to the hoop. Um, I, I I do think he could have been that guy, and I actually uh, I do think it really really hurt this team that he wasn't healthy last year and, and now this year um, because he is a guy that I think plays into the dribble drive offense, and um, we don't have a lot of those guys who are really effective at getting to the rim and. Um, for him playing the four spot or the five spot, I think he would have really abused some matchups and uh, really small sample size for his uh, obviously very limited games and a lot of them being in garbage time when he uh, did play last year. But he, uh, he was really good rebounder by the metrics. Um, the eye test definitely matched that with the effort he played with. And there was a, you know, Florida's recruiting class that year kind of had, was really interesting to see kind of site to site who kind of thought who people kind of thought Florida's best recruit was. And um, yeah, there was, there was some of them that thought Chase Johnson was, was going to, was our best recruit. And um, there's definitely flashes to see um, why that would be the case. So um, I, I do think this hurts for Florida for sure, but um, it also opens up, uh, opens up a scholarship at a time that um, Florida's really kind of cooking on the recruiting trail and uh, could maybe land someone or, or land a big time transfer or a Juco transfer or something like that to, uh, to really help the team next year. Yeah, I think they're, you know, and, and we can talk about that a little bit, but I, I do think that Florida will potentially look at Juco route, maybe add a big. Are you thinking uh, the same name I'm thinking of? Uh, what's the name you're thinking of? Damon Kerrigan. Yeah, Said, that's, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the popular lock, one. So. We're in lockstep on this one. Um, although I did see that uh, Katari Gordon is transferring from St. Louis. And so. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, kind of a, he's not like for like with Chase Johnson, but he's also six nine two thirty and has a huge vertical leap and, and a big wingspan. So it's not like for like, but it's a similar kind of body. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, uh, one thing he committed are... to Missouri and then, right. Uh, right, right, right. And then ended up going to St. Louis after, after I think after uh, the Porter commitment. Right. But yeah, DeMond Kerrigan, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, just an incredible shot blocker. I think he was, um, I don't know if he was like a three-star recruit, but a lot of people really high on him. He's from Florida. And uh, there's a couple of of interviews from back when he was in high school that said Florida was his dream school. So uh, hopefully that uh, has remained unchanged. But um, yeah, we're going to be missing some serious shot blocking with uh, Kavarius Hayes uh, transfer or transferring, graduating. 
transferring to hopefully some pro program somewhere. But um, and yeah, if uh, Demon Kerrigan could be a guy to come in uh, right away and uh, be another elite shot blocker. And um, yeah, also I think just like you mentioned um, that I, I do think Florida needs to look at the front court with this spot. However, um, however they do it with a grad transfer. Um, I, I mean, a regular transfer maybe or a JUCO transfer. Um, I like the JUCO round getting a guy like that who could be available right away. But um, yeah, Florida does need some help in the front court, and and I think this would be a perfect guy for it. Yep, and I don't, you know, and and Florida's had success. I don't know the last you know big time JUCO player that Florida had, but certainly Florida's had success with with programs outside of the Power Six. Well, um, well, we got Justin Leon was with, right, uh, and. Exactly. Uh, well, and let's remember what's so crazy about him was he was uh, his agreement with with Mike White was that he was going to uh, he's going to redshirt his first year at Louisiana Tech when he committed to Mike White he was at Louis he was at Louisiana Tech and the plan was for him to redshirt a year and it said because Florida was so depleted Justin Leon had to uh, had to play right away and was instantly effective so that just shows how yeah. cool of a story that was a guy that didn't have any Division One offers um, was then going to be a, a, a redshirt at. Louisiana Tech, and then ended up um, playing big minutes right away um, for Florida. But anyway, so yeah, Florida has had success on that route. Yeah, no, or Mike so White. I, Mike White, I should say, I guess. Sir, yep, certainly, uh, certainly has been a direction that the Gators have gone under Mike White, and and very well could again. But I would expect certainly they're not going to have an empty slot. They're going to add somebody. So I think we've 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 thrown out a couple names that that they might uh that they may go after. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. So back to, back to Twitter reader questions. Yeah. So, yeah. So Chris in Tampa wants to know, uh, who in the SEC has surprised you so far, good or bad? Okay. Um, I would say I'm a little, oh man, I would say that the, the biggest surprise to me would have to be. Uh, that's a good question. I, I think that to me, I, there's just a, uh, I'm trying to think what, what has surprised me. I, here's, here's what I'm questioning. I think LSU hasn't been as good as, uh, as I maybe kind of thought they would be. I thought they'd be able to, uh, like the fact that LSU lost to Oklahoma state, um, is, is a, that's a, I think that um, people, uh, might not know how bad Oklahoma state is. They're probably one of the worst power cup five teams. And, um, uh, even Houston was a, was a game that Houston's a good team, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people that thought LSU was going to be a, you know, a top is a lot of people's kind of like sleeper final four teams. And I was never, that's why I was kind of questioning when I, I was kind of flip-flopping what my uh, biggest surprise was. Cause I, I don't know if I was quite as high on, on LSU as, um, as a lot of other people were, but at the same time, I, I do think that, um, you know, losing to Oklahoma state, they kind of barely skated by, um, St. Mary's. They had a. They even had a tough game with Louisiana Monroe. Uh, they had a. They had a tough one with. Um, ooh, I think they almost. They almost lost to Louisiana Tech earlier. So um, LSU is probably. Uh, I would say LSU is probably my biggest kind of surprise. But at the same time, they rely on a, um, a lot of freshmen, and they also rely heavily on a freshman front court, and that's not a good recipe for success. So uh, yeah, I mean, we had. I we had expected. We had a couple. A couple SEC preview shows, one with Eric and I and one with uh, Blake Lavelle at Southeast Hoops. And I think we all kind of concluded that maybe people were a little too high on LSU. I think Blake liked them a little better than you or I did. But we all 
our, I guess our, all three of us were concerned about their ability to defend, and that's been the problem, really. I mean, they don't necessarily, outside of, you know, they don't, they don't take great care of the basketball, and uh, they don't defend. So, yeah. well, so then, and yeah, and that's kind of just the thing about having a having a freshman front court, and especially one that's um, so kind of traditionally large. Um, you see that you know you've got to be a pretty uh, a pretty savvy basketball player in the modern game if you're going to be a a big big old plotting big to to stay on the floor from a defensive standpoint. And yeah, just uh, hasn't worked for them. So I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go. I don't really want to say Arkansas is the most that that's kind of disingenuous to say they're the most disappointing. I'm surprised that they they didn't really beat anybody. Um, <laughs> you know, well they beat Indiana. Okay, yeah, they skated by Indiana, but yeah, I guess it's you know it's a win. Yeah, win is a win. They beat Indiana, but um, they lost to Western Kentucky. Somebody that that's gotten a lot of people, I guess. Um, yeah, <laughs> lost Western Georgia. Kentucky reference of the podcast that means something, I guess. Yeah, lost at home to Georgia Tech, which um, ooh, ooh, even yeah. worse than my even worse than my Oklahoma State claim is one of the worst power conference teams. So I don't know how was that. Am I right about that too? Was that yes? They did. Yeah, no, they did. They did. That's true. They did in fact lose in Bud Walton uh, in a nine p.m. game to Georgia <laughs> Tech. So oh. that's oh. just weird. Well, yeah. uh, one thing I'll say, um, so I am, uh, I will not claim to be a recruiting guru at any point, um, anywhere, but, um, so maybe someone who knows a little bit more than I am, um, this isn't a surprise to them, but one of my biggest surprise players has been Isaiah Joe from, from Arkansas. Isaiah Joe has been awesome. And he's yeah. like, a, he's been like shooting that he's like a 45% three point shooter at like 15 points per game. And he's just this like smooth six foot five athlete and he's just an incredible player and um just someone i haven't even seen really talked about enough nationally and probably it's because arkansas has been very good but um yeah isaiah joe is as good as any freshman i've seen this year that's actually probably that's a little you know that that's actually a little bit exaggerated but i'd say as good as any sec uh sec freshman i've seen this year and um that's been probably my most surprising player yeah no i i can get behind uh that's a that's a take I can actually get behind. I think Kermit Davis's team has been uh, that's the team that I was thinking of that hasn't beaten anybody, but right. But, but they are ten and two, um, and if you've watched them play at all, which I had the chance to do twice, um, they they play well. You know, yeah. There's well, definitely they're twenty eighth in adjusted um, offic- offensive efficiency. Um, right now, which is really, really high. Terrence Davis plays the game at a really high level. He's a very intelligent player. Um, and they were a team that defended around, what, 150, 160 last year, and Kermit Davis has them defending a little bit. They're in the top 100. So, Well, yeah, and it's something just kind of like you and me have talked about, just talking about like when Florida was playing some of their lower major opponents. And, you know, Florida would, would win a game against, um, you know, Charleston Southern by – 30 and you know it'd be like oh well uh you know you can only play the team in front of you and they they beat them in the fashion they were kind of supposed to and that's all you can kind of hope for and that's what I kind of see with uh with this Ole Miss team is that they've been playing against some not great competition but they they've been winning just like the way they they kind of have supposed to they haven't had any close calls with a really kind of bad team they've taken care of business against uh I saw them play Florida Gulf Coast the other day and they took care of business and they played um Louisiana Monroe and took care of business and uh, 
Uh, just every time I see them playing a, a kind of a mid-major or low-major team, they've just taken care of business. They haven't had any close calls. And um, I, I think that there's something to be said about that because when you, uh, when you play uh, 10 or 11 good mid-major and low-major teams, you, you might get scared on two or three of them, even if you're a really good team. And they haven't gotten scared at all. They've just taken care of business. So um, I've actually, uh, uh, though I'm usually uh, for power conference teams to not have a really good schedule, sometimes I will uh, be negative about them for that. Um, I'm looking at Mississippi and saying, "Hey, they've uh, they've done uh, they've done really well in uh, with the schedule they've had, and uh, makes me really interested to see them play in the SEC." Yeah. Uh, so Kristen in Atlanta wants to know uh, if South Carolina is as bad as their record. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no personally, um, but uh, I, I, they do have some really interesting numbers. Um, just again, I, I'm gonna go to Ken Palm because I was looking at it just for an article I was doing the other day, but. Uh, just the fact that, um, so they play, uh, you, you know, they've been, they've been playing a little bit of the kind of the pack line, protect the paint defense. And it's kind of been working um, uh, extremely kind of well, where they're 28th in the country in, um, uh, in defensive two-point percentage, but they're 316th in three-point percentage allowed. So they're <laughs> kind of protecting the paint, which is exactly what, you know, pack line wants to do. But um, it's also, uh, you know, they're giving up threes and uh, other teams are making them. But the thing is, um, here's my take about why I don't think they're as bad as their record is, is like, so they're allowing 38.1% from the three point line. And I just don't think that that is going to, uh, I don't think that, it, that they're going to allow that all year. I think that that number is going to go down. And um, uh, if that number goes down, I think that South Carolina wins a few more games than they um, uh, already that were kind of on their schedule. I think that that has really hinged a lot on um, uh, their defense has been bad just because teams have been, hitting higher percentage from three than they normally do. And part of that is the scheme that South Carolina plays to protect the paint, to give up threes. Um, but I think, yeah, if a, if a couple threes don't fall for their opponents, they probably have another, another couple wins. So I'm going to say that uh, South Carolina actually is a little bit better than their schedule looks. Yeah. I was going to give the same response. Um, I promise we're going to find things we disagree on. I think <laughs> uh, so. My my response, I guess, a little a little different take on it is is schedule. Um, that that they've really challenged themselves. Uh, they played a relatively competitive game with Michigan, who's number two. Um, they played Clemson, who was desperate in that game. Uh, they played Virginia. Uh, they played Wofford, who's pretty good. Um, they played Providence. So you know they. They haven't. They played Stony Brook, who was in the NCAA tournament. So I think um, if you look at their losses, it's not like a bunch of atrocious losses. Now they lost to Stony Brook, which they shouldn't have done. Yeah. And they, they have a very bad loss at Wyoming. Um, that hurts. Yeah, who's, who's really terrible. Uh, and young. And I just don't, you know, I don't know how you, you lose to a team like that when you're Frank Martin and you got uh, – Chris Silva and a, and a player as good as AJ Lawson, but okay. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that they're as bad as they've played. Um, and I think, you know, Florida, Florida can't just be looking ahead to their trip to Fayetteville uh, Saturday night or, or they'll start conference play. Oh, and one. Yeah. I, if uh, it's a team that's um, kind of, like I said, um, South Carolina is going to take away the paint and Florida has really struggled to score in the paint. So, if Florida happens to be cold from three against South Carolina, um, they're certainly not going to be able to go to 
to the well of the uh, of layups to try to get points. So um, I do think this one could be challenging for Florida if their outside shots don't fall. So uh, uh, yeah, I think this could be a little bit of a trap game if Florida's not careful. Yeah, Hassani Gravit is another guy who's played pretty well this year, and in, in in a and that's been good because Malik Kotsar, who Florida fans will remember from from his history of abusing the Gators in all aspects of basketball, um, <laughs> has not played well. So uh, Hassani hasn't really been a guy that Florida's had to worry about that much, but he's a guy that kind of I, I don't know if he's he's kind of their Michael Caru <laughs> because he was a little more highly valued out of high school actually. Um, especially as a scorer, and he hasn't really been that until this season. But he's shooting 39% from three-point range. He's shooting 46% from the field, which uh, makes him, other than Kotsar, their best shooter. I know I just said Kotsar's struggling, but he actually is. Um, the bar's but, not high over there right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bar's not very high. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, Hassani is at 10 points a game and, and, and three assists a game. So I think – kind of uh he's always going to get his steals uh so so he's kind of a guy that that could present some problems to Andrew Nimhart because you're right they have definitely shifted some of the way that they've defended it'll be interesting to see if they get out into the passing lanes and try to harass Andrew Nimhart a little bit the way that Mercer did um Frank Martin you know not really they have a very they have a style of defense that they typically like to play so yeah well changing defenses he'll do but that'll be interesting to see well, it's interesting because the way that South Carolina gave Florida such problem, um, the you know a, a couple of years ago, and obviously when um, uh, when South Carolina beat them in the NCAA tournament, was that they were they were really denying ball reversal and making it tough to run offense and right. um, uh, kind of playing the opposite of the pack line. And then this year, when I've watched them, it's like they've just they haven't been denying ball reversal. Um, they've been taking away the paint and giving up three point shots, and that probably just has a lot to do with personnel. Um, because it's, you know, it's pretty tough to play a brand of man defense where you just deny ball reversal everywhere. But um, it is it is a little bit different than we've uh, been used to seeing from South Carolina. So I'm curious if when it comes to conference play, they'll change that up a little bit or maybe be able to play a couple different styles of man defense, which you don't often see from teams. You know, they'll switch from man to zone or something. But to be able to switch kind of man defense from deny to pack line would be uh, uh, potentially pretty challenging. So... Um... Last listener question to kind of wrap our show. And I like this one so much, I thought we should make it a segment. <laughs> so and I gave you a warning. But um, John in Miami wants to know uh, how the Gators are doing in the NBA. Yeah. It's, um, how many? I should. I probably should have, could have Googled this to find out how many there are in the NBA right now. Um, but I think, the, uh, I think when you start like, kind of talking Gators in the NBA – um, you've got to start with uh, with Bradley Beal. And it's kind of interesting because for a while there in, in Washington with the Wizards, it seemed like John Wall was the star. And then um, Bradley Beal was kind of just the, the next guy um, at, where now I think that it's pretty well established with a lot of people in the league that, um, that Bradley Beal's their biggest star. And I think he's just gotten kind of better um, every single year. And part of that is the fact that because he's so young, like he's only 25 now that um, – uh, going into league so early, he, he has been able to just keep getting better and better and better. And now he's a guy who's, you know, 25 years old as a, uh, just like a, uh, still kind of in his athletic prime, just at the start of his athletic prime, but he's already like a six year NBA veteran. So um, I think he's just really well, uh, well set up 
and I think he's going to be a, a guy that uh, it's it's really cool that he's a Gator alumni, and it's good to see him tweeting out uh, some stuff after Gators wins because I think he's just uh, going to keep being a star. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a guy who uh, kind of I was going to talk about Chandler Parsons first, kind of start with almost the opposite situation. Oh uh, yeah, a really good article by uh, Jeff Calkins, who is the uh, beat writer for the Memphis Grizzlies in in the um, Memphis paper today. And, and just uh, the title of it is Chandler Parsons unwilling to bet on himself again. And hmm. he kind of starts from the premise that the Mavericks some years ago had asked Parsons to opt in on a $16 million contract um, and to play that the, the opt-in year. And he declined to do it. He didn't want to, to bet on his knees and now um, Parsons has been saying for a week or two that he doesn't feel any pain but he's just not willing to risk playing that he doesn't I don't think he trusts his body anymore and it's kind of sad because he's such a prototypical uh, kind of <laughs> he, he just has such a prototypical NBA body for the modern game and and when healthy you know obviously showed that he's a very good offensive player yeah, that's that is really sad to kind of see his story, and it, it kind of makes sense why he would uh, why he would struggle to trust his trust his knees because he's a guy who's kind of had a few returns to the NBA where he was supposed to be healthy, and they, none of them have lasted very long. So I can I can certainly see why um, why he's kind of taking it easy there. Um, but other Gators are we got we got Al Horford about um, about the he says his. I saw, I don't know if it was Twitter or somewhere that I think he's about to, to eliminate the minutes limit that he had had. Speaking of knees. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, I, I think that I, Al Horford's thing is pretty cool. Cause obviously he's been in a, he's been in some good situations, um, obviously being with Boston now, but uh, I, he's a guy who just is always seems to be playing winning basketball. And that's something that obviously I think that he did at Florida. And um, he went to, he, when he was playing on that Atlanta team, um, where they had one of the most efficient starting fives in the in the league, uh, he was kind of at the center of that. And then um, Boston kind of had some struggling stretches without him in, when he was in Boston. Um, but yeah, I just think he uh, he makes players around him better. And then we have uh, what do we got? Dorian Finney-Smith. That yeah, that's what I really wanted to talk about because he's yeah. been awesome this year. Um, for a guy who was undrafted to uh, get himself some guaranteed NBA money is is awesome and. Um, one thing for him is he's been able to defend at a really high level in the NBA since he's gotten there. But when he first started, he just could not knock down a three point shot to save his life. And that really kind of challenged him to, uh, to play. And that's what kind of kept him out of the lineup for long stretches. And, um, he's been able to shoot the ball pretty well. He was at, you know, like 36% last time I looked a few weeks ago, hopefully that isn't plummeted on someone might check that, but, um, yeah, the, the way that he's been able to defend at a really high level is, is great. And um, the, the way that he can hit a spot-up shot is really good. And the thing about playing with, uh, with Luka Doncic is he's not a great defensive player. So uh, the Mavs need to have some versatility on, in the lineup with him. And that's exactly what Dorian Finney-Smith has done. Um, he's been the beneficiary of a lot of really good Luka Doncic passes. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's playing great basketball. And I would definitely suggest people check out a Mavs game to watch him. Yeah, they Oh, just one, th- one thing I find really interesting, uh, then I'll t- turn it back over to you, is just the fact that when he was at Florida, he was like uh, a guy that played the 4-5. He was always kind of a front court player. And then as soon as he went to the NBA, suddenly he's got to play the wing and defend some of the most athletic wings, some of the most you know, you know, athletic people in the world playing the wing. And the fact that he's been able to do that is super impressive. 
Yeah, it really is. And, and, um, you know, and, and to, to speak to Eric's point, he was such a, a, a front court dominant player in Florida. I think he led Florida in rebounds three consecutive seasons. So, um, <laughs> with Pat Young on the team, one of those years. So, uh, <laughs> that's all you need to know about that. But there's a great, there was a month ago around Thanksgiving, there was a great article at, um, SB Nation. Dorian Finney Smith deserves an apology. And it, <laughs> it's from the, the lead. <laughs> The lead beat writer of Mavs Moneyball, who was like, "I'm so sorry, man. I thought you were only on the team because you were friends with Dennis Smith." Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so That's he's hilarious. Yeah, he's had a really good year. Um, we may have covered it. I think the rest of them are in the G League. Uh, from from, oh no, Udonis Haslam, who doesn't really play. Uh, but <laughs> let me tell a quick story on Udonis. Uh, in addition to having an awesome mural in Little Havana now which I'll have to tweet the, a picture of that the next time I'm on the train down there. And, and I can, uh, I'll tweet it from the, the at Florida BB hour account. So everybody can see that there's a great mural of Haslam in little Havana that has him in the heat Jersey. And then it's got him holding up um, the finals trophy and kissing it. And then him in a Gators uh, uniform. It's really cool. That's cool. And, yeah, uh, so I saw them play the Pelicans a few weeks ago, and Anthony Davis had like 50, and, and the Heat still won. And it was really interesting to see, like, there was a play where um, where Bam Adebayo could have easily given up on a play and just kind of came all the way from, from behind the play and swatted Drew Holiday at the rim from behind. And there was a TV timeout like 30 seconds after. And Haslam came running out onto the court and was like, you know, explaining to Bam Adebayo, like how awesome it was, like first congratulating him and then kind of saying, you didn't have to be in that position to begin with. It's really cool to, if you see the heat, if you can see them in person, I, I, you know, obviously I encourage anybody to go watch an NBA game that loves basketball, but, but uh, it's kind of neat to see Haslam has developed into basically another assistant coach on the bench. And, um, that organization thinks so much of him that they they pretty much aren't going to make him retire until he's ready to retire. <laughs> I do think that's really cool and, and a, a good way to utilize just how big the rosters are now in the NBA where it's, right. you know, you don't need that many guys in your rotation, so why not have a kind of player coach like that? And that's uh, that's pretty much it for Gators in the NBA. Oh. Uh, Canyon Barry was, I think, with the Timberwolves at, at one point in time this season, I don't know if he played in the regular season. I know Devin Robinson has been in and out with the Wizards. Occasionally he's on their bench, but usually uh, in the G League, correct? Yes. And Chris Chioza, same deal, um, although I don't think he's been up with the, the big team. Um, Justin Leon, still with Oklahoma City Blue. Uh, speaking of Justin, we talked about Justin Leon earlier. And then uh, Chris Walker. Um He's with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers and has been there forever. Yes, he has. <laughs> he's had a better he's had a better G League career than a college career. I'll give him that. <laughs> it's kind of oh. mean. Do we forget somebody? <laughs> no, but there's definitely one Gator alumni we should uh, speak on quickly, and that is um, Nick Kalathis, the uh, ah. captain of Panathinaikos in Greece, who is now being coached by the one and only Rick Pitino. So I thought that was uh, – uh, pretty funny if anyone has seen the news um yeah this uh this greek team uh uh panathinaikos who's one of the one of the best euro league teams uh, 
there is uh, one of the best, probably one of the best non NBA teams, um, if that makes sense in uh, in the world. And um, yeah, and uh, that's Nicolaitis has been there for a few years and, and just really had an awesome career there. And um, that's the team that just announced the other day that uh, Rick Pitino was going to be their coach. And he's already, I think they won their first game. I'm not sure if they've played again since, but uh, yeah, there you go. Rick Pitino is uh, is one and zero in the uh, in the Euro League in Greece, and um, the captain of that team is Nicolaitis, who has had um, a really good career. Oh, and so for fun, since we're doing um, one little, we'll, maybe we'll do one Euro League guy just for this segment. We're just making this segment up as we go yes. along, which is, <laughs> which is totally amazing. Um, Scotty Wilbekin was was Euro League round three MVP this fall. That's awesome. Playing, He's had a really for, good career there. Yeah, playing for uh, Tel Aviv. So yeah. uh, he he had twenty eight points, um, and and five assists and five rebounds. I guess in in winning that, according to uh, FloridaGators.com, being named Euro League round three co MVP. So uh, <laughs> Scotty, man, good guy's a good player. Well, in Maccabi Tel Aviv, that's another. That's another. It's a very one. good, like, for sure, the very best. good club. Very good club. So that is cool to see. Just some. It's just interesting to me to see the difference between. Um, or actually, I was talking to a friend of mine that works for um, uh, works for the Lakeland Magic, the Orlando uh, kind of uh, uh, their G League team, and we were talking about. I guess another guy we didn't uh, didn't reference in Michael Frazier, but just the way that he like Michael Frazier has been like you know a good G League player. But has never, uh, you know, he's just—it's just very, very unlikely he'll ever be able to make the NBA. It's just extremely unlikely. But he's staying in the G League just to kind of keep that dream alive. Where then you see guys like Scotty Wilbekin or uh, Nicolathis. Well, it's like instead of grinding away for less money, way, way less money in the G League, they've decided to go overseas, um, have an awesome quality of life, and uh, make more money and play awesome basketball and some great great basketball atmospheres and i think that's really cool for for guys like scotty wilbekin and nick Calathis, who are now um really really important players on some of the best um euro league teams yeah i know uh pat young is another guy who who has done that although um and, and really started out with one of those big clubs olympiakos in greece and you know pat had a knee injury a couple years into his his european career but it's kind of limited his effectiveness but he's another guy who who's had a really nice been able to enjoy the quality of life associated with the money in europe that's so much better um so you know it's it's definitely a way that that a lot of players can go so yeah we'll we'll probably touch on european league players maybe we'll get maybe we'll hit up we'll revisit pat on the next episode yeah well and of course so if you know if you're in gainesville you can go to his uh, newly opened escape room so uh it's another <laughs> thing patrick young has going on so uh, Pat yeah. Young has a lot of things going on. I'm talking yeah. about he's a, talking about a Renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's a modern day Renaissance man. So, uh, yeah. So we'll be back after the uh, SEC opener Saturday night in at Zach Tech Arena. Um, the students are back, so hopefully, uh, or we'll be back Monday. So hopefully, they come in for the weekend and are really loud because we were right. The Butler environment was kind of. <laughs> It wasn't quiet. It just wasn't mm. what, what you're used to. Even on TV, you could tell. Yeah, especially with that many shots falling. Uh, you'd maybe like it to be a little bit louder. But, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, <laughs> the Gators can kind of bottle up that shooting and uh, do it again. Yep. All right, everybody. Um, thanks for uh, listening. Make sure you, you give us a, a subscribe on iTunes or, or a heart on Spotify. That works, too.
um, and, and we really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for those who sent in questions. Uh, those are always appreciated. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.